Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. Heads up that you also might hear two different hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. With that said, on with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's October 13th. The modern revival of the Hebrew language began on this day in 1881 when Eliezer ben Yehuda decided that among his friends and family, it was the only language that he was going to speak. So it's a bit of a misconception that Hebrew was a dead language or wasn't being used at all before this point. It was really common for Jews in a lot of the world to learn Hebrew, but it was really more as a written language and mostly used for religious texts and for study. A lot of people could speak some Hebrew, but maybe not very fluently, almost never as a first language. It's estimated, though, that when Ben Yehuda started this work, more than half of Jewish men and boys could understand things like the Torah and daily prayers in Hebrew, and about 20% could read a typical book that was written in Hebrew. Sometimes Jewish communities were also using Hebrew to communicate about other matters or to communicate with other Jews when they didn't have another common language that they could use to communicate. Eliezer ben Yehuda was born in Lithuania in 1858, and his family wanted him to be a rabbi. At first, he really excelled in the studies that were needed for that, but he gradually decided he wanted to become a doctor. While he was pursuing his medical studies, Bulgaria was fighting for independence from the Ottoman Empire, and that led the Russian Empire to declare war on the Ottoman Empire in 1877. Ben Yehuda was really inspired by this and from other independence struggles and the idea of a people coming together to form a nation and a national identity in their ancestral homeland really appealed to him. He started to believe that Jews should do the same, that Jews should have a homeland and a common language and a common national identity. So in 1881, he moved to Jerusalem with plans to revive the Hebrew language. And it was once he got there that he made that decision that it was the only language that he would speak with his friends and family. He had a son in 1882, and he persuaded his wife to raise their child only in Hebrew, including keeping him in their home so that he wouldn't be exposed to other languages. In 1884, Ben Yehuda established a newspaper to help spread the popularity of this language. To do this, he was having to coin new words and print a glossary at the back, encouraging readers to keep this glossary for their future reference as he added new words to the language. One of the words he needed to coin for his newspaper was the word newspaper, which didn't exist in Hebrew before this. And raising his son in Hebrew also meant coming up with Hebrew words for all kinds of everyday objects, from omelet to bicycle. Another big focus for him was teaching Hebrew in schools, because if children were speaking Hebrew, then their families would be learning it too, and these children would grow up into natural, fluent Hebrew speakers. Over time, he started compiling all these new words that he was coining into a dictionary, And the Hebrew Language Council was established in 1890. Later, it became the Hebrew Language Academy. Although interest in and knowledge of Hebrew really started to spread, Ben Yehuda was not without his critics. Some Orthodox Jews considered his work to be heretical because Hebrew was considered to be a holy language and not something that was supposed to be used for just day-to-day casual conversation. This was complicated by the fact that he had become quite secular and he was really approaching this 
as something of a national identity more than a religious identity. He was trying to fit in with his Orthodox neighbors, but it was clear to them that he didn't quite belong. When Ben Yehuda's first wife, Dvora, died of tuberculosis, he remarried her sister, Hemda, and she became really instrumental in helping him with this work. She and his son finished the dictionary that he had started after Eliezer Ben Yehuda's death in 1922 at the age of 64. That same year, British authorities, who at that time had colonial control of Palestine, recognized Hebrew as the official language of Jews living in Palestine. So, as I noted earlier, it's not as though Hebrew was a dead language before all this happened. But to quote Cecil Roth, before Ben Yehuda, Jews could speak Hebrew. After him, they did. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat for her research work on this podcast and to Tari Harrison for all of her audio work on the show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a royal trial. Hello again, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a show where we drop history knowledge every single day. The day was October 13, 1917. A crowd of about 70,000 people reported having seen what became known as the Miracle of the Sun in Fatima, Portugal. Witnesses gave conflicting accounts of unusual solar activity, but analysis suggested that the phenomenon had a psychological explanation. In early 1917, three shepherd children who lived near Fatima said that they had begun seeing apparitions of an angel. In May, they said that they saw an apparition of the Virgin Mary in Cova da Iria, and she said that she would reappear to them on the 13th day of the next six months. The children told their parents about the apparitions. As word spread around the town, some people believed the children while others didn't. Either way, people began flocking to Fatima to witness a Virgin Mary sighting. After their third reported sighting, the children said that the Virgin Mary told them three secrets about the future. Of course, their sightings stirred up a lot of controversy in secular and religious circles. A state authority took the children into custody and tried to get them to deny the legitimacy of their claims. But they did not recant, and newspapers continued to pick up the story of the Virgin Mary sightings, as thousands more people made the pilgrimage to the Cova da Iria fields. The most anticipated of the visits was the one on October 13th, since the Virgin Mary reportedly told the children that a miracle would happen that day. Estimates of the number of people present at the Kovadaidia fields range from around 30,000 up to 100,000. The people in the crowd claimed that they saw a miracle as they looked at the sun, but what they actually reported seeing varied wildly. Some people said the sun came out from behind rain clouds and danced around the sky. Some said it changed colors. Others said that the sun moved toward Earth in a zigzag motion. Still, other people present said that the sun did not do anything extraordinary. The event was said to have lasted for 10 minutes. 
13 years later to the day, the Catholic Church recognized the event as a miracle that was worthy of belief and approved the devotion to Our Lady of Fatima. While some people believe in a supernatural explanation for the miracle of the sun, others explained it away with science. Besides general disbelief in miracles and skepticism, critics doubted the occurrence of any unexplained solar phenomenon because many people did not see anything happen and those who did, did not agree on what they saw. One explanation of the event was that it was an optical illusion caused by staring at the sun for too long. Others posited that the pilgrims had been expecting a miracle to happen, so they saw one. Still others suggested that it had something to do with the weather or atmosphere in the area at that particular time. The church claimed that it was a supernatural event, and so did many believers, but many skeptics said the event is better explained as a psychological phenomenon. Lucia de Jesus dos Santos, the girl who saw the visions of the Virgin Mary, became a Carmelite nun and stood by her story her entire life. Her two younger cousins, who also reported seeing the apparitions, Jacinta and Francisco Marto, died of the flu not long after the apparitions began coming to them. Jacinta and Francisco were canonized in 2017. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Know any fellow history buffs who would enjoy the show? You can share it with them. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Or if you want to get a little more fancy, you can send us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. We're here every day, so you know where to find us. Bye. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.